0: Thank you, Silas, thank you for singing. Amen. Amen. Take your Bibles, if you would, open them to Second uh, Peter, Second Peter, chapter two. Second Peter, chapter two. John read verses 7 through 13. And um, at the beginning of verses uh, 7, 7, 8, and 9, we uh, studied for a few weeks God's deliverance of righteous souls, as we see in the text here. In this simple outline of chapter 2, the first three verses deal with the fact that there are false prophets. False prophets hinder the promised Healthy growth. God promises in your life personally. Boy, I hope this matters to you. God promises in your life personally that you can have healthy growth, that you can grow in grace and in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus, that this can be the reality of your life day after day in your relationship with Him. And this we see a lot. There's much. that We don't have time to go through chapter 1 again. but There's so much in chapter 1 about how God accomplishes this in our lives. And it ends... At the end of chapter 1, with your confidence in the word of God, you can trust God at his word. After that, he says, but there were false prophets also among the people. In other words, there's the word of God, and then there's what people say about God. And they're not the same thing. And it's surely true in America today that they're not the same thing largely. So your confidence can't really be, I would love for you to be able to say, and I hope it is true, I truly believe that it is true that you can trust this pulpit, that you can trust the, your pastor, that you can trust those that preach and teach that are members of our church and those that we invite to be in this pulpit, but I know this, you can trust the word of God. So that's the point, that's the emphasis of our church family, and so the whole point of us gathering together is to provoke you, to encourage you, to cause you to spend more time with your God with an open Bible in front of you. Because faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Both the faith that saves and the faith that grows you come from what God says about this. I, I am, uh, this is really not the message this morning, and I cannot escape this. But this is, that, was the, that was the message in a sense. That's all part of it. But where I'm going right now, I am really burdened, and I don't know why, that there are some, that some, there are some here right now who don't understand that they can come to God and he, can, and he wants to help them. I believe there are some people here this morning, your approach to God is based upon whether you're doing well or not. If you're not doing well, then you don't feel like you can go to God. But if that's how you feel, then you'll never really have a good relationship with God. Because you're never going to, you are never going to live well enough to earn access to God. Never. Never. Listen to me. You may be a new creature. You may not be a new creature. You may be born again. You may not be born again. I don't know. You may, you may have joined a church, been baptized. I'm not talking about any of that. Are you able to trust God, not just for your salvation, but for your growth? Can you be honest about where you are? Can you be honest about, with God about where you are? We, we can't be honest with each other about where we are. We should be able to. But we, we, we can't because we fail each other. If, we are too, if we're not careful about what we disclose to others, then they will leave us or forsake us or worse, talk about us to others. But that's not how God is. You need, you need to be able to go to God. You need to be able to. You need to know that you can. You need to not stay away from God. You know, this morning in Sunday school, um, a man brought a child to God and needed God's help. And he said, Jesus said simply to him, if you can trust me, if you believe, I can help. And this is what his response was. Lord, I believe. Help thou mine unbelief. That may be, I have to be honest with you, that may be the most important prayer to me as a baby Christian, that I ever read. Because I knew I trusted God, but I also knew I didn't trust God. If you know what I mean when I say that? I mean, I know you're able. but I don't know why you would. Right? I know you could do this, but I don't know why you would do this for me. And so many of you, you think God's going to treat you the way people treat you. And when you fail, they, they quietly close the door on you. But that's not Jesus. And you can just go to him, say, Lord, I'm a failure. I'm a horrible person. I said things I shouldn't have said. I thought things I shouldn't have thought. I know you've saved me. I know you've made me a new creature. I know you promised him to, to conform me to the image of Christ, but it's not happening here. It's not happening like it should. Tell him. Tell him. Tell him. Abraham, God said, Abraham, besides everything I've already promised you, I'm going to give you all this land. And Abraham said, I don't even have a son. You promised me a son. He's not being mean. He's not picking on God. You promised me a son. And I trust you for it. But I don't understand. Here I am. I have already tried to have a son. I messed it all up. My wife and I got together. and We said, we'll help God. We'll do this. We'll work it out. And it's failed miserably. And now look where we are. You've got to be able to be honest with God. And I want you to be, I'd listen, you know, this, this passage, this is a hard passage that we're going to look at this morning. It says, the end of verse 9 says, um, and to reserve the unjust unto the day of judgment to be punished. It starts with this, the Lord knoweth. I remember, you know, a few weeks ago we looked at the Lord knoweth. You don't know. I don't know. But the Lord knoweth. And there are two things that the Lord knows how to accomplish. One, how to deliver the godly out of temptations. Oh, thank you, Jesus, that you know how to deliver the godly out of temptations. Or I'd be stuck in a thorn bush almost half my Christian life. Amen? Thank God for that he's a delivering God. Not a once delivering God, but a keeping God. That he is the author and finisher of your faith. Amen? But you've got to cry out to Him. You've got to be honest with Him. There's no sense in pretending to God or to us that everything's okay when it's not okay. Don't pretend with God. Stop pretending with God. Stop putting on a face to come to church. Be honest with God about where you actually are. And I promise you, He will hear you cry out and rescue you. And He will do in your life what only He can do in your life. You cannot do this. It's Romans chapter 7. The good that I would, I don't. The evil that I wouldn't, I do. O wretched man, not that I was, I am. I am powerless to be the husband, father, pastor that God would have me to be. But he is not powerless to make me that way. Amen? Now again, you get absolutely nothing to brag about when God makes the change. And maybe that's why we want to make the change. Maybe that's why we judge one another. See, because if I can take you down just a little bit, I feel like I raise me up just a little bit. Do you understand that thinking? Now, God has rescued me. That really, truly rescued me from that, for the most part, completely. I no longer worry about where you are, except for, are you trusting God? And if you'll trust him, he will help you. And all I want to do is to help you to trust him, do you understand? I don't wanna help you to trust me. I don't wanna help you to trust this church. I wanna help you to trust Jesus. Because I promise you, he will never leave you nor forsake you. And he will never fail you. I would love to say I will never fail you. I would love to say we will never fail you. But I just don't think that's true. But he will never fail you. Now, he knows how to deliver the godly out of temptation. And he knows how to reserve the unjust unto the day of judgment to be punished. Those who will not be just, those who will not repent, God knows how to reserve them. Now, I used to misunderstand this. I used to think that this passage was simply saying this those that are ungodly, God's going to make sure they stay ungodly. And it puzzled me because I know it's not what God wants. Right, God is not willing that any should perish, so God, why would God want to reserve ungodly people in an ungodly state? He doesn't want to reserve. It's not what he wants to do. But here's what I've come to realize. What he's saying is this, and it is what he's saying. He, he knows how to reserve the unjust. In other words, he knows how to keep us from being destroyed. Those of us that really his children, he knows how to keep us from being destroyed by them. Now, you say, yeah, those terrible people. Those terrible people. What's interesting is if you go to verse 13, let's go to verse 13 for just a moment. It says at the end of it, this is the second half, there's two halves to chapter 13. The second half of it says this, this, spots they are and blemishes, sporting themselves with their own deceivings while they feast with who? With you. So, So some of these people are in the church. Some of these people are in the church. Now, when you read the beginning of this, when you read starting in verse 10, and you see what they're like, you say, well these, aren't, these, well, these can't be church-going people. But see, here's the problem. I think in the heart, in the secret heart of people that come to church, there are some people who are simply wanting to have their way, and they want God to bless their way. And if they got to take you down to do it, they're fine with that. And that is not God's way. So here's the good news, here's the good news, and I mean this. I would, I would, I would to God, I would to God with all my heart, actually, that Tidewater would be a place that everyone who loves Jesus could come and grow. And all we would do is help each other. And and I would ask you to please beg God to make you such a Christian. Lord, make me such a Christian. Make me such a Christian that I would be a help to so-and-so and so-and-so and so-and-so and so-and-so and -and 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 so-and-so. Lord, I know that in me that is in my flesh that dwelleth no good thing, and I can't do this in my own strength. But Lord, I, I don't want to even be seen doing it. It isn't because I want... Listen, I'm telling you, if you understood the righteousness that you have in Christ, you no longer need to do anything good to earn any favor with God. Do you understand that? I am, listen, I am not going to heaven someday because I am a decent pastor or I helped you through a hard time or I helped you in this point in your marriage or we helped your child or I came and spent time with you in the hospital. I am going to, I am simply going to heaven because of the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Because the blood of Christ not only has cleansed me from all sin, but the spirit of God is conforming me to the image of Christ. Amen. It's all his, it's all his, you know, his robes for mine. Amen. I mean, he's going to be wearing my robes. He already wore them. And God the Father judged him while they wore them. And now I'm wearing his robe, praise God. You understand? Once you understand that you don't need to judge each other anymore, you can be falling short yourself and just wanting to help others. You understand? You could say, I am not a perfect Christian. I'm not even a decent Christian sometimes, but I want to be helpful to my brothers and sisters. I want them to understand how great my Lord Jesus is. That's what I want for them. But this is not the group that we're going to see. This is not the group that's going to find, be found in verses 10 and 11 and 12 and 13. And it's going to be on, beyond that, because from verse 10 all the way to verse 22, we see the tragic path and the end of the self-willed. The tragic path and the end of the self-willed. Now I'm going to read just a short portion of this again. And I, and I want to look at a couple of words and we'll be done. I want to look at a couple of words. And the reason I want to look at a couple of words is because in order to really understand, you say, well, what's really going on here? And the only way that I know to expose this passage, to do a proper exposition of this passage is to show you where the words that we're seeing here are used elsewhere in your Bible so that you can draw your own conclusion about this. Because some people think that this is talking about people like, um, what do you want to call it? the people who hang out in the middle of the woods with fences all around them and guns and stuff like that, and they hate the government, right? And I'm sure that those people can be included in this group. And other people would say, no, no, it's those that don't love the Lord Jesus because the word government is the same word that deals with lordship, right? And then some would say, no, no, it's those who have uh, any trouble with the position of authority at all, whether it be parents, whether it be pastors, whether it be your boss, whether it be that. And I believe that all of that can be included, but the truth of the matter is this. What we're going to find is this, there's an uncomfortable heart attitude, a desire of the flesh, a lust for what I want, and I'm willing to disregard anybody else's counsel or authority to have my way. And you say, well, that just sounds like a child, and I believe it is very childish. I believe it is, and I believe it's also what we're looking at in the passage. So let's look at it. So we start in verse 10. Verse 10 through 13, this is what John, I'm going to read it just once, and then we're just going to go through a couple of words. But chiefly, them that walk after the flesh in the lust of uncleanness and despise government, presumptuous are they, self-willed, they are not afraid to speak evil of dignities, whereas angels which are greater in power and might bring not railing accusations against them before the Lord. But these, as natural brute beasts made to be taken and destroyed, speak evil things, excuse me, speak evil of the things that they understand not, and shall utterly perish in their own corruption, and shall receive the reward of unrighteousness, as they that count it pleasure to riot in the daytime. And I'll stop there. Lust. The first word that I want us to look at is the word lust. Right, you see it, it's one of the first Chiefly them that walk after the flesh in the lust of uncleanness. The word lust. Now, look up here before we start looking at passages. The word lust simply means strong desire. Okay, strong desire. And the first passage we're going to look at, turn to Luke chapter 22 and verse 14. Luke chapter 22 and verse 14. Who do you suppose is going to be the first person that we're going to see who has lust, who has strong desire? And the answer is going to be Jesus. Okay, The first person that the Bible is going to show us that has lust, that has strong desire, is going to be the Lord Jesus. In Luke twenty-two fourteen, 14. Now, and when the hour was come, it's time for our Lord Jesus to lay down his life. It's, it's time for him to put on your robes. It's time for him to put on my robes. When the hour was come, he sat down, and the 12 apostles with him, and he said unto them, with desire, underline that in your Bible, have I desired, both of these words, the same word, lusted, strong desire, with lust, have I lusted. Now listen, look up here. It's amazing to me. He knows that he's going to go die for us. And what's on his mind? What's his strong desire, knowing that he's going to go die for us? And it's to eat this meal with his disciples. Listen, i got to be honest with you. My wife will tell you, I can't even eat. I I cannot. You're going to look at me and say, that's not true. One of the reasons that I'm, truly one of the reasons that I'm overweight is because when I have, I, I cannot eat when I have, before I preach. I will not, I don't eat, I don't, I don't go out on Sunday for meals. People always want to say, Pastor, you want to go out to eat on Sunday? And the answer is no, no, because I have to preach again tonight. And so I don't I eat very little. When I go home for lunch, I eat very little. I don't know what it is. I don't know what it is about it. It's just that my mind races while I'm going over things in my mind for about the next time that we're going to be together. And so, and so but the problem is at 9 o'clock at night, I relax. It's like, okay, my day is over. I can relax. And I haven't had breakfast, lunch, or dinner yet, really. You know what I'm saying? So I think I'll have all three of them and go to bed. Amen? (laughs) If you want to know how that works out, just look at me. That's how that works out. Don't pick on me. Just look, okay? But the Lord Jesus, knowing he's going to die for all of us, wanted to eat this meal with his disciples. He is so much not like us knowing how much they needed this last supper this last supper is not for him this last supper is for them Do you realize after they after they eat and he washes their feet and it's time to go do you know what the last thing he's going to do before he goes is what he's going to say to them before they go let's sing let's sing a song together it's amazing to me that i would be sitting over in the corner literally weeping shaking Say, so you guys have no idea what I'm getting ready to go through. You have no idea what I'm getting ready to go through. You guys got to help me out a little bit. Really, that's how weak we are. But not our Lord Jesus. With lust have I lusted to have this meal with you. Let's look at it for just a minute. To eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I say unto you, I will no more, I will not anymore eat thereof until it be fulfilled in the kingdom of God. You know how many Lord's Supper's have been taking place since this time? You know how many times people have gathered together and had the Lord's Supper? You know how many many fellowships, how many potlucks have happened since the Lord Jesus? And he's not had any, any of these feast meals since he left us. Waiting to gather us all together again. And then we'll eat again with him. Amen? He's marvelous. I hope you adore him. I hope you adore him. Once you get to see how great he is, you'll be able to come with him to him with your with your sin, with your really sin, terrible, dark, black sin. You'll be able to go to him and say, "Lord Jesus, please rescue me from this sin. Just like you did the thief on the cross, please rescue me from this sin. I'm sorry that I've done this. My my uh, spouse doesn't know that I've done it. My parents don't know that I've done it. Nobody knows, but Lord, I need you to rescue me. I need you to overcome this in my life. And then I'm telling you, your bills will look tiny compared to how wonderful he is. Your medical difficulties, they will all pale. They will all fall down to nothingness in the glory of how great he is. And he took the cup and gave thanks and said, take this and divide it among yourselves. For I say unto you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God shall come. And he took the bread and gave thanks and broke it, gave it unto them saying, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Likewise, also the cup after supper, saying this cup is the New Testament in my blood, which is shed for you. Amen? So that's a strong desire. That's a strong desire. Turn to uh, uh, Philippians chapter one, verse 23. Philippians chapter one, verse 23. I have a lot of verses. I'm not gonna go through all of them because I realize, I don't think I realize how long it takes to go through verses when I'm putting them in my notes. Now, I only put a small portion of them in my notes, but I don't realize how long it takes, I think, for us to turn to them and get to them. I really want you to see them in their context, though. In Philippians 1, the Apostle Paul says, "'For I am in a strait betwixt two, "'having a desire to depart and to be with Christ, "'which is far better.'" And he's gonna say, but I should stay here with you, and so I'll stay here with you. But I want you to notice what he has a stronger. Uh, so I, you can read it this way. "'For I am a strait betwixt two, "'having a lust to depart and to be with Christ.'" Which is far better. How many of you are strange enough here this morning to really wish that you could just go be with Jesus? Anybody? Anybody? Raise your hand high if that's really true for you. Uh, not that you don't love your wife or your or your or your children or anything, but I sure would like to leave and go be with Jesus. Anybody that really feels like that? I really. I mean, I mean that really, really. Now, I'd like us all to go. Amen. I'd like us all to go together. I'd like for the trumpet of the Lord to sound and time to be no more. Maybe today. Amen. But what's interesting, I was noticing the song, my Lord will come for me, it says. So maybe that's just a bus. I don't know. I'm not sure how that works out. But maybe today, one of us will leave and go to be with Christ, which is far better. And anybody who doesn't want, truly want to go and be with Jesus, I don't understand why you don't want to go be with Jesus, right? I mean, I really don't. Again, you know, you may have a wonderful family, and I I, I mean, honestly, I I mean this with all of my heart. I am so happy. Uh, All of my family's here right now. And it's very rare that all of my family is here. All of my family is right here in the Hampton Roads area, and it is wonderful. And I, gotta, I can tell you, I don't care. I just sit in the living room with all of them in the living room. It doesn't matter to me what we can do, nothing. It doesn't matter. Just to be in the room with them is wonderful. But to depart to, to and to be with Christ, that's far better. Amen? That's a strong desire. So lust, lust is only a bad thing because of what we lust after. Now, let me show you uh, Romans chapter 1, verse 24. Romans chapter 1, verse 24. By contrast with what Christ lusts after and what the child of God lusts after or should lust after, let's see what we find in Romans chapter 1, verse 24. And boy, I tell you what, we're just gonna look at verses 24 and 25, but it gets worse. It goes downhill after there. Romans 1, 24. Wherefore, God also gave them up to uncleanness through the lusts of their own hearts to dishonor their own bodies between themselves, who changed the truth of God into a lie and worshiped and served the creature more than the creator, who was blessed forever. Amen. So here we find the lust of the heart of men, and this lust has uncleanness in it. Leads to dishonoring their own bodies between themselves. It goes on for here to talk about what that looks like. And it's an unattractive thing. It's a terrible, terrible thing. And yet this is the strong desire of the natural man. In 1 Peter chapter 2. Now, by the way, we're not even gonna look at we're not even gonna look at James. We remember how much we saw in James about every one of us. We war. Why do we fight? Why do we fuss? And I'm just gonna say this. It's really important. Why do I argue with, you know, I gotta pick Kenny, right? I just because he's the only one sitting on the front row, so he does this to himself. So, and Kenny and I don't really, to my knowledge, Kenny might have something against me, but I've never, I've never had anything, nothing significant against Kenny. I wish he'd clean his car out, but other than that, you know what I'm saying? I, you know, I think he's a pretty swell fella. So, but why would Kenny and I have lust with each other? And here's why because what his flesh wants and what my flesh wants aren't the same thing. Do you understand? where do wars come from where do conflicts come from and the and it tells us in james that this is where they come from you want something i want something else do you understand now by the way that happens in married families that happens in couples lives amen and let me say this every now and then i'll I'll meet a couple who has gone a long way from the things of god before they come and talk to me and here's what happens when that happens their lust did line up for a while in other words they didn't have conflict with each other So they didn't realize anything was wrong until they got far enough away from God that their their desires were lined up. And then they started having trouble with each other. And then they come to see me. It's like, well, wait, wait, wait. Her lust and your lust were wrong way back here when you were in agreement, but you were walking away from God. The key to not having a terrible relationship with others is having a wonderful relationship with God. Yes? And how can you have that? And I really believe the only way to have that is for you to know how great he is. You know, Brother Bobby and I were talking about to know, know, know him is to love, love, love him. And I, don't, I believe if you don't love Jesus and know falling down, you know, kind of, kind of uh, you know, I don't know how to say I was going to get. If you don't have times of just beside yourself worship, then I don't know that you've ever seen him. Because when you see him like he is, you, you, you have to do it in private, because you look like a fool. I mean, I do it publicly sometimes here at the pulpit. But you have to, you kind of look like, a, like an idiot. It's like, man, you're crying too much. You know, you got, maybe you should get a, a Kleenex. You're just a little out of control. Yeah, well, he's just that wonderful. Have, if you have, once you start having that, if you don't have that kind of relationship with God, all you've got is religion. All you've got is what you're parroting what somebody told you to do. And that's not good enough. You've got to meet Jesus and find out how wonderful he actually is. And when you find out how wonderful he actually is, what you'll find out is this. This will be your, your understanding, I really believe, will be exactly what the thief on the cross was. Maybe he would forgive me. Maybe he would forgive me. If he'll forgive those who are gambling for his clothes after hanging him to the cross, maybe he'll forgive me too. And this is what you'll find. He will forgive you. Right? The thief on the cross said, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. And he didn't say to him, nope. You've been giving me a hard time while I've been hanging here dying. You're a thief and a liar, and everybody knows it. Nope. What he said was, him, verily, verily, I say unto thee, today you shall be with me in paradise. Now, who earned the paradise? Jesus did. But who's going? The thief on the cross. Amen? In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11, I'm just going to read it. Don't turn there. Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims. Abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul. Now what you'll find out about lust is this. Here's the problem with lust. Fleshly lusts are going to get you into trouble. I remember Don and Dons and I talking about this. Don, don't leave the church because I shared this, okay? Don, Don and Don's and I were talking about fleshly lusts. And I said, to my knowledge, Don, you don't really have any fleshly lusts except for pizza. And I say that because every now and then he would use pizza as an example in his sermons when he would talk about things that you should not desire that he desired. And almost always he would use pizza as an example. And I would think to myself, really, has that much trouble with pizza? So don't, don't, you know, don't bring an open box of pizza around, Brother Don. Just you know, save him that, just save, him, save him, save him that temptation. Amen, amen. Uh, I like pizza. I don't have, I, I, I probably have a problem with it, but I don't have a problem with having a problem with it. So you go ahead and bring it around, man. You know. <laughs> I guess what I'm saying is I have no conviction about eating pizza, amen? (laughs) Maybe I should, I don't know. All right. Now, so that's the first word, lust. But what you'll notice, going back to the passage, but chiefly them that walk after the flesh. So you already see the problem. They're walking after the flesh. And this is going to lead to a couple of things. One, the lust of uncleanness, right? Now, we already saw the word uncleanness showed up. It showed up in verse 24 of Romans. It shows up in Galatians 5, 19. Don't turn there. Now, the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these. Listen to this list. Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness. Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness. You hear that list and you think, yeah, that's a bad list. That's a bad list. Here's the problem with your flesh. Your flesh wants things that God does not want for you. In the same way that your children often want things that you know are not good for them. And you restrict those things in your children's lives. I mean, has anybody ever noticed that left to themselves children, most children, not all children, most children would choose dessert before dinner. Most children would choose dessert instead of dinner. Amen? And we say, no, you can't have that. You have to eat this first. Why? Because we know it's good for them. And so God, listen, please listen, hear me. God is not restricting ungodly things from us to keep things that would be fun from us. He restricts them because they're terrible for us. And they're far worse for us than dessert, if you understand what I'm saying. They are truly terrible for us. They are life-destroying, and they lead to things that will destroy your life quicker than this will. Because once you start saying yes to your flesh, this is what you'll find out, your flesh will never be satisfied. It never will be satisfied. I don't have time to talk about this, and I don't want to talk about this, but I can promise you I know what I'm talking about when I tell you this. You will go from this to this, from this to this, from this to this, and you will still not find satisfaction, and you will be worse off than you were when you started. And there are many men that can say amen to that, many women that can say amen to that. Your flesh is never satisfied when you give it its way. Never. It always wants more, and it is destructive. The lust of uncleanness. And then you get to the word despise. They despise government. I don't have to, I, I really, there are, there are three things that I was going to point out. Luke 16, 13 talks about um, despising your Lord. If you're going to serve mammon, if you're going to follow after the things of the earth, then you will despise God, right? That's Luke 16, 13. And then it says in, John, in Romans chapter 2, verse 4, that, you, that you, this will lead you to despising the riches of his goodness. In other words, once you decide you want your way, first you will just think lowly of God. Then you will think lowly of God's goodness in your life. And then finally, in 1 Corinthians 11.22, you will despise the church of God. So this is what happens. First, you will despise letting Jesus be Lord of your life. Then you will get to the point, but you'll still want his goodness. Lord, I don't want you to rule my life, but I do want you to be good to me. I do need your blessings in my life. Then you will start saying, you know what? I want my way. I don't even care if it interferes with you being able to be kind to me. I still want my way. Then, it, then you'll get to this point. I don't even want to be around the people of God anymore. Right. You want to know why you don't want to be around the people of God anymore? Because they cause you to be aware of the fact that you're not walking with God as you should. And that's a problem in your life. Do you understand? And where does this come from? This comes from you exercising. Your, and again, I would, I would love to say them, but it says that they are in and of us. Now, I'm, I'm going to stop here for just a moment just make sure you understand this. All of us are capable of this. And to a degree, all of us are guilty of these things. And we have been guilty of these things at some point in our life. Amen? Anybody have a problem with that? Is there anybody who's sitting where they are right now and say, Lord, Preacher, I don't know what you're talking about. I'm a great, great Christian. If, it, really, honestly, if, if that's you, meet me afterwards because I want you to write a book that I can read. Amen? Because I really need to know how you did it. Because, you know, I remember the Moors are not here this morning. I remember uh, Sarah Moore joking many years ago. She was a teenager. She was on a mission trip with us down in Texas, I want to say. And she was talking about how she was, she said, I'm working on a book. It's called humility and how I attained it. <laughs> it's funny. I just thought it was funny. You might not. It's hilarious. It's humility and how I attained it. Amen. So that what, now, here's what it says. They despise government. We looked at it despising. They despise government. And he, I'm not, I don't think I'm going to show you anything about this word other than this. You can look it up for yourself. But the word government here, it, it, has, it has in its root, it's the same word that's the root for Lord. Lord Jesus. Okay? So here's what it means. These people who are caught up in themselves, despise any other authority in their life. And you can hear it when you talk to them. They have problem with authority, you can hear it when they, when they talk. They find fault with, it doesn't matter, the committee that did this, we find fault with it. The deacons, we find fault with them. The boss at work, we find fault with them. The people who are running our government now, that's a hard one to say because I don't know how anybody could not find fault with the way the government's being run right now. I mean, you could just pick somebody in the government and say, whoo, they're doing a terrible job right now. Amen? But the point is this. It's not really about the government. It really comes down to that lordship we were talking about before. It comes down to you despising Christ having the authority. Now listen, listen. The one with the nail-pierced hands. The one who died for you. Shouldn't he be the one that runs your life? <clears throat> Listen, I'm not talking about theory now. Shouldn't the one that died for you be able to make decisions for you? Yes or no? Does any, is, is it possible anybody could love you more than him? And if he says to you, this is what I want you to go through right now. You know, I, I know I've said it many, many times, this little heart that, uh, that was brought to me earlier. Um, I know I've said this many, many times, You should be able to receive anything that's handed to you by the nail-pierced hands. When Jesus reaches out and says, I want to put this into your life, and you say, oh, that's a a hard thing, Lord, I don't want that in my life, you should be able to look past the thing to the nail piercings and say, Lord, if you say this should be in my life, this should be in my life. Because no one ever cared for you like Jesus. No one, no one, no one now cares for you like Jesus. No one, no one. Let him be the Lord of your life. If you won't let him be the Lord of your life, I promise you, you're gonna end up with heartache and anguish. And here's the worst thing about it, I'll tell you, this is the here's the worst thing about selfishness. Selfishness hurts everybody around you. It would be enough, it would be tragic enough if it just hurt you. But it hurts your spouse, it hurts your family, it hurts everybody around you, it hurts your extended. You have people who are unsaved, and when we misbehave ourselves, there's nothing worse that we could do for them. The, the, The disobedient Christian is a disaster for the unsaved. A disaster. Because they look and they see the disobedient Christian and they say, See, I knew there was nothing to that. Because they're just like we are. And it, and it devastates them. But there is something different. The difference is Christ. So let him be the Lord in your life. We're almost done. I apologize for me being a little weepy. I really want you to just really you know, have this. So now let's look. Just a couple more words and we'll be done. <clears throat> this is not a fun sermon. I'm sorry. I know it's not. Lust and uncleanness, despising government, I'm sorry. But it's what it says, right? And we've got to benefit from the Word of God, all the Word of God. It'd be wonderful just to preach one bright, sunshiny sermon after another, right? I promise you we would have to build again if we did that. But we can't do that because that's not what the Word of God says. we just got to study the Word of God in order. So it says presumptuous, presumptuous. Presumptuous are they. And this means they're overconfident. They think they already know everything. They are rash. Presumptuous. Boy, I tell you, Um, somebody, somebody said something to me the other day about a young preacher and it was not flattering at all. And the person that said it to me, when they said it, I said, yeah, that probably would have been said of me as a, as a, as a young preacher. And the person that said it knew me as a young preacher and said, oh, it was, (laughs) I said, thank you for that. we don't know everything and i'll tell you god has really taken the last 10 years or so to help me to be really aware it um, doesn't matter doesn't matter doesn't matter how much you understand classes if you understand what i'm saying that that doesn't matter it doesn't help people again knowledge puffs up and love edifies so there's a huge difference between those two things and i promise you jesus isn't just smart he is smart but he loves you and there's a huge difference between being smart and loving people And that's what God wants us to make us. It's not people who know everything, but people who trust him and love others. That's what he's trying to do in our lives. But these people are not that. They're presumptuous. And again, you've got to be honest with yourself and say, I can be overconfident. I can be hard to deal with at times. I can be rash in the way I do things. Then it says they are self-willed. And this means to be uh, obstinate or arrogant. Now, I'm going to say something. I'm going to say this. This is a true statement. And I wish it wasn't true. But I'm going to say this because I think it will help somebody else. When I was a young person, when my wife, I was unsaved when my wife and I first dated. And one day we were doing something, and my wife said that I was arrogant. And I said, I am arrogant. I said, but there's a difference between conceited and arrogant. And she said, what's the difference? I said, conceited are people who think they're great at everything, and arrogant are just people who know that they're good at everything. <laughs> That's not a joke. <laughs> you may be laughing, but I look at it, back at it now and realize how, how arrogant a statement that is. Arrogance is, well, arrogance is self-willed. That's what it is. I didn't realize that. Ar- listen, arrogance means it's all about you. That's what it means. It's all about you. And listen, it's not only not all about you, it is not even about you. Yeah, you understand that it is not even about you. Oh, how wonderful it is to be set free from us! How wonderful it is for you to be set free from you. Amen. How wonderful it is for you to simply understand that it isn't about you. It's about the Lord Jesus Christ and those around you, and for God to set you free, and that you can know that. But what it says is in this passage. What it says is those that are walking after the flesh, they have the lust of uncleanness. They despise government. They are presumptuous. They are self-willed. And and they are not afraid to speak evil of dignities. And dignities is the word for glory. It simply means those who are in positions of authority who are, or have earned praise of somebody else. Now, you know, I don't know how to liken it. You can liken it to somebody who plays the piano better than somebody else, if you understand what I'm saying, or sings better, or, or preaches better, or makes cookies better, or sews better, or whatever it is. You know, it's like they're better, and so you feel like somehow they've got something and you should have got it. Listen, I've, I've met very few people that can actually rejoice when somebody else gets something, really rejoice when somebody else gets something. Can you be that kind of a person? Can somebody get something better than you? Get, I mean, an award that you didn't get or uh, are treated highly or just something nice. You know what I'm saying? Oh, look at that nice thing that they got. And you'd be thankful for them instead of, why couldn't I got that? Do you understand how selfish it is that that would be our attitude? Look what they got. That's wonderful. Oh, good for her. Oh, good for them. Amen. And again, once you understand that everything you need, you have in the Lord Jesus Christ then you can let that go, right? It doesn't matter anymore. Why? Because I have Jesus, and all I deserved was hell, right? All I deserved was hell, and what I have is I have joy unspeakable and full of glory for all of eternity in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what I have, amen? And nothing shall be able to separate me from the love of God in Christ. That's what I have, and I'm glad for them that they got that good. I'm being truly happy for them that they got that good thing. Why? Because it's wonderful, and I'm glad for them, Amen. All right, we're almost done. Here's the unfortunate reality of these people. Again, and I'm not going to tell you who they are. You'll have to decide in your own heart and life, and you have to decide as, as you look around. But here's the unfortunate thing about those who will not trust Christ, who will not be rescued from themselves. In verse 13, it says this. It says, they shall receive the reward of unrighteousness. Now, what does that mean? Anybody know? Let me just show you this. Go to Matthew 20 and and verse 8 and we'll be done. Matthew 20 and verse 8. Lest you think that God is just petty and unkind. Because God, I promise you, is neither petty nor unkind. Matthew 20 and verse 8. And this has to do with the member of the Lord that goes out... And hires people to come into the vineyard and gives them according to their labor, according to what they've done. So it says, so when even was come, the Lord of the vineyard said unto the steward, call the laborers and give them their hire. Beginning from the last unto the first. The word hire is the same word as the word reward in verse 13 of 2 Peter chapter 2. So what is it? Listen, let's look up here. Look up here. How many of you get paid when you go to work? Raise your hand if you get paid. Good for you, how many of you listen? How many of you, let me ask with you, how many would go and do that work if they didn't pay you? Anybody? A couple people after you raise their hand, you're crazy. Really, would you go and would you go in the Navy? What's that? Yeah, I know, but if they, if they, oh, all right, all right, I see, okay, okay. I was confused, I was like, man. So okay, he's in the navy. He's saying the point is whether they pay him or not, he's got to show up for work tomorrow. Okay. Um, <clears throat> but we work, we work because they pay us when we work, right? Now, what's interesting is this. Oh man, I almost got really political for a second. I'm going to I don't think it's a good idea. There's a part of our government right now that wants to work out things where we pay people that don't want to go to work. <laughs> I don't think it's a good idea. Cuz I think if you start paying people that don't go to work, people will stop going to work. We just proved it, as a matter of fact, by the way you, you're pretty good people and you're not going to work unless they pay you, okay? So the point is this, you earned that paycheck. I hope you earned that paycheck. I mean, you're, you're being paid to work. I'm hoping you're earning what you're being paid. In other words, that you're actually putting forth the effort that you should to earn your paycheck. But they're paying you what you earned, yes? Now here's what God says, and shall receive, this is verse, verse 13 of chapter two of 2 Peter, and shall receive the what they were hired of unrighteousness. In other words, what they earned. This is what they earned. Their reward, look here, look here. Their reward is the payment that they earned with the way they chose to live their life. Now, how many of you are aware that the whole wonderful truth of the gospel is no longer getting what I've earned? Yes? Right? The whole truth of the gospel is I get what Jesus earned and Jesus took what I earned. Amen? Right? And that's called grace. Grace and mercy. And grace is free, but it wasn't free to Jesus. So my salvation is free to me, but it wasn't free to him. But those that are condemned are only going to get what they earned and didn't let Jesus pay for. Do you understand? This is what damnation is. Damnation is not having committed sin. We've all committed sin. Damnation is rejecting that Jesus came to pay for that sin. That God came to rescue you from that sin. So has Jesus rescued you from that sin? And what we see here is this. Those that live a life walking after their flesh, lust, uncleanness, despising governors, presumptuous, self-willed, uh, not afraid to speak evil of dignities. Those that live that way, that's their life. Not that they have these failures, these shortcomings in their life sometimes, but that is their life. They will be judged for those things because they didn't let Jesus take it away. So I hope, one, that you've let Christ take away the the penalty of your sins. But two, now again, I don't want to be like Lot. And I hope you don't want to be like Lot. And what God is saying in this book, it's really important, in the context of what we're looking at, God is promising you, one, you don't have to be like Lot. Two, I will rescue you from those who choose to live worse than that. I will rescue you from that. But be honest with me. Let me rescue you. Father, thank you. Thank you for these couple of minutes together this morning. I thank you that you are, well, I thank you that you're forgiving. And Lord, I thank you that we can be honest, Lord, with you, completely and totally honest with you. And Lord, I thank you that you will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Lord, I thank you that you promise that we don't have to stay that way. And Lord, I testify, truly testify to your power to change us inwardly first, truly to change our heart attitude where we no longer want to be that way anymore. And then, Lord, as we will let you, I testify that you are able to overcome these things in our lives. Precept upon precept, line upon line, you through your word and your own Holy Spirit, overcoming all selfishness in our lives as we will simply submit ourselves to you at your word and trust you and not ourselves. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. Thank you for coming. Stand with me if you would.